As we continue this evening, I want you to grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 11. We'll be there in just a moment. Matthew chapter 11. As you turn there, I want to take you back to a report in history that some may remember. I don't, but some may remember. Time magazine noted back in the 1960s, expert testimony was given to the Senate Subcommittee on Time Management. In this report, they predicted that advances in technology would radically change how many hours people would work during the week. They forecasted in the early 1960s that the average American, due to technology, would only need to work 22 hours a week. And that this would happen within the next 20 years. That would be kind of like the mid-80s. The greatest challenge that they said that people would face would be figuring out what to do with all of their excess time. Over 50 years later, after a major advances in technology, how many of us are wondering what to do with all of our extra time? It's interesting the things that are predicted. It's interesting the things that we think will change in the future. Uh, I kept it in a file, and I, when I was in fifth grade, uh, they had the, uh, what do they call it, the, the weekly reader, the scholastic weekly reader. And uh, when I was in fifth grade, they told us what year 2000 would be like. We would have cars that would fly. It was in, the, it was in print. They can't put anything in print that's not going to be true, right? We'd have cars that would fly. We would have replacement parts for our very bodies, for every organ of our body. Not quite sure if they could do it for the brain, they thought. But for every organ of the body, we'd have replacement parts that you could pick out. And all of these predictions. It was interesting to see the things that they thought would happen by the year 2000. And I want you to just allow your mind to think, what, what do you anticipate your future to look like? Five, ten, twenty, thirty years Sometimes we think that the challenges that we face today will, will no longer be there. We're, we're waiting for that miracle cure. We're waiting for that, that fix that will take care of whatever ails us. And sometimes, just like that Senate subcommittee in the 60s, we make a very aired prediction of what the future will be. I guess in some ways they were probably correct that with all the time-saving devices, we could have disciplined ourselves to not have to work as much as we do, but things have changed and people are more stressed out now than ever before. The rate of clinical depression is as high as it has ever been. Those who claim that they are overworked is as high as it has ever been, and we have all kinds of devices and gadgets and, and mechanisms to get more out of our day. We're just not really good at slowing down. I want to share with you a message entitled, Experience Rest. Jesus is calling us to rest in Him. There's a newspaper article that's a number of years old now, but it's from the Tahoma, Washington newspaper. Real story. Remember, they can't put anything in print that's not true. At least it's quoted to be true. From the newspaper. It's the story of Tattoo the Dog. Let me read the summary of this. Tattoo was a basset hound, and... Tattoo didn't intend to go for an evening run, but when his owner shut the dog's leash in the car door and took off for a drive, Tattoo was still outside the vehicle and he didn't have much choice but to go for a run. Motorcycle officer Terry Filbert noticed the passing vehicle with something almost dragging behind it. He commented that the poor basset hound was picking him up and putting him down as fast as he possibly could. He chased the car to a stop 
to rescue Tattoo, the Basset Hound. But not before the dog had reached top speed of about 18 miles an hour. Falling down and rolling over and being drugged a couple times, thankfully Tattoo was safe and with a few uh, minor attentions from the the doctor, the, the vet, the dog was okay. But it's interesting to me that sometimes we go through life just like Tattoo the dog, that we are picking them up and putting them down as fast as we can go. We don't even know if we've chosen to be on this rat race, but somehow our leash has gotten caught in the door of popular society and we've been yanked down the road and we can't slow down. Some of you have talked to me about what retirement is like and Though you have a little bit more freedom and choice, you're just as busy as you've ever been, but you're doing the things that you want to do. Or some of you have shared with me the challenge of the aching emptiness of you used to be so busy and then now you don't feel that. It's interesting how we fill our life with so much stuff and so many things that we don't quite experience the rest that God calls us to. We need to learn how to experience rest. If all we needed was physical rest, we could just take a nap. I remember the days of hating to take a nap. I remember my parents had a rule on Sunday afternoon that I had to take a nap. But the rule was I could get up as soon as I would wake up. And so parents, I'm sorry to spoil this, but I'll have to tell your children my trick. I would take my belt and I'd put it around my knees and I knew that as soon as I'd fall asleep, I would turn over and it would wake me up and nap would be over. I didn't confess that to my parents until a few years ago. I was still living in fear that they may cause me to take a nap. I love taking a nap now. But if all we needed was physical rest, we could just, we could just take a nap. You could just sleep in on a Saturday and, and take care of it. If all of you needed, if, if everything that we needed in rest was just emotional rest, you could just schedule a long vacation and you could recuperate. But what do we do when our soul needs rest? How do we develop that soul rest deep in our heart? See, it appears the more that things change with technology and society and all the stuff around us, it's almost the more they stay the same. Because Jesus faced these same challenges, these same issues nearly 2,000 years ago. Don't turn there, but just listen to this. Mark chapter 6, verse 31 reads, Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. And he, Jesus, said to them, Come with me. Come by yourselves to a quiet place to get some rest. Jesus made it a pattern to get alone and to rest. Jesus was teaching by example to get alone with the Father and rest. I was sharing with one of you this morning uh, before one of the services, and uh, I had an opportunity when I was in Israel to go to this place that Scripture talks about as the, the lonely place, or the place that Jesus rested. It was a small cave, and, and the different tour guides we had, didn't matter if they were Christian or if they were um, uh, a Jew who didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, or if they were a Muslim, they all said historically, this cave was what that Scripture was talking about. The location to the water and where it was at, they said this has to be the place. And, and the cave was not a very big cave. It was, it was no larger than, than just this small section of the platform. And so I went into the cave and I began to touch every wall of the cave and got excited and thought Jesus was in here. He sat somewhere. And there was only a small entrance and exit to the cave and I looked out of the water and I thought, Jesus, he looked at this view. 
And scripture said this was a place where Jesus came and he was weary, he was tired, and he rested. He waited before the Lord. Then I saw something that I'll never forget. The tour guide was hurrying us on to the next location for us to see, and they said we were going to be going to what was commonly saw as the place the Sermon on the Mount was delivered. A thought entered my mind, and so I paced off the steps from that waiting place, that resting place, that lonely place, and, and I paced it. It was about 200 yards around the corner was the hill where they thought Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. And it dawned on me. Here, just right around the corner, literally, the place where the greatest sermon ever preached, arguably, by Jesus and anyone else in the world, and ever in time, was right around the corner from a place of rest, of waiting, of even loneliness at times. See, we need to come to a place of rest by the example of Jesus because we never know what is right around the corner. But it wasn't just Jesus who gave us an example. Listen to this. Don't turn there right now, but you can jot down the reference. Genesis chapter 2, 1 through 3. You know this account. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had begun to do. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from the work of creating what he had done. In the Old Testament, this idea of God resting translates into a commandment for us. In the Ten Commandments, what number is the the commandment to rest? Anybody remember? It's the fourth commandment. Someday we'll walk through how you'll never forget that the rest of your life. It's the fourth commandment. It says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Remember the day of the Lord and rest on that day. It's kind of interesting that we have to be commanded to rest. We have to be ordered to rest. We're we're too busy to rest. We're too much in a hurry to take time just to rest before God. Sometimes we're too busy for God himself. Jesus not only faced the issue and the need for rest firsthand himself, he also taught on the importance of this. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now many of us, if not most of us, have read this passage recently. In the last week or so, we've We've allowed our eyes to go over this, but I believe God wants to take this deep into our heart tonight. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I want to take this scripture piece by piece and begin to look at God's recipe or his guidance for how to experience rest. First, is just kind of simple. If you're taking notes, jot this down. It's, it's come to me. Jesus says, come to me. If if you're tired, if you're weary, if you're worn out, if you need rest, you need to come to me. I will experience rest for my soul when I obey Jesus' command to go directly to him. Now notice it doesn't say when, when you're weary and tired, go to church. It doesn't say when you're weary and tired, get more done on your to do list. 
It doesn't say when you're, you're tired and you're weary, just go take a vacation. Now, is there anything wrong with those? No. It's good to do some work. It's good to go to church. It's good to go on vacation. But if you want rest for your soul, Jesus says, come to me. See, spiritual rest, when we come to Christ, that's where it takes place when we meet him personally. Well, we talked this morning about building that temple of our relationship with the Lord and, and putting him first. One of the blessings that God is longing to give to us, church, is a daily, I believe, almost moment by moment, hourly experience and walk with him. Where you sense his presence and, and you know his love for you and you sense his guidance throughout the day. And this is not just for a spiritual giant. This is not for just somebody who's just so far smarter than you and I. This is for us. This is for each and every child of God who surrenders to him and says, I need you, Daddy. But it causes us to stop and to come to him for rest. I want to just pause right there. What do you go to for rest? Well, when you're exhausted, when you're weary, when you're tired, what do you go to? I mean, I know there's obvious questions. You know, when I'm, when I'm exhausted, I, I try to go sleep. Ever been so tired that the nap made it worse? I don't like that. Ever been so tired, you just couldn't get up to go to bed? I mean, you just kind of stayed in the chair. You just stayed on the couch. You're just too exhausted. Have you ever been so emotionally wiped out and drained that the thought of planning a vacation or making arrangements to get away just was too much? You're just too exhausted. What do you go to when you're weary? Some of us, we, we go to the television, some place to zone out. Some of us, we go to our habits of work of slothfulness. Sometimes we go to a friend. Sometimes we go to a fix-it mode. Sometimes we go to procrastination. What is it that you run to when you are weary? All of us get weary. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Some of us, we run to food. Oh, it's a horrible day. You know what I need? A Big Mac and some fries. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a Big Mac and fry. I'm just saying, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you have had it? What do you run to? Who do you run to? Where do you run to? Jesus says, hey, if you would just come to me. I'm not saying that you can't have a Big Mac on your way to me. But Jesus says, bring the Big Mac to me. Get close to me. I care about what you care about. Run to me. Come to me. This is not about just gathering information about Jesus. Now, there's a good thing about, and we'll talk about in weeks to come, about when we get information about Jesus, and then when we apply this information about Jesus, it's that information plus application, and it can turn into life transformation, and that's good. But that's not what I'm talking about here. When we come to Jesus to rest in him, this is not about gaining information about him. You know, you can know all about Jesus and never ever rest in him. Just the same way you can know about Jesus and never really know him. And you can have knowledge of him, but not knowledge of him. You can have knowledge of him in a place like this your entire life for decades and never really 
know him. I'm not trying to get you to doubt your, your salvation, but I'm just telling you the truth that what Jesus is talking about here, it goes deeper than just stuff here. It's when I run to him, it's not just knowledge about him, I'm running to him in my relationship with him. We'll find that he has been waiting for us all along. What is it that you run to? Jesus talks about this in his ministry. He says, you know what? When you're weary, when you're tired, you're going to find that you're hungry. And if you're hungry, write this in, if you're hungry. Did you know that our soul gets hungry? Your, your, your very spirit man will crave something. It, I don't think it's much different than a craving for a food or a craving for affection or a craving for whatever it will be. Your soul craves something. Friends, our culture, as godless as it may be, their soul craves something spiritual. If you want to sell something in today's market in Hollywood or in, in Barnes & Noble, you have a spiritual tone or thread in there and it sells well. Why? Because we're such a Christian nation? No. Our very DNA, our soul craves hunger something for our soul. And so it's not foreign that we hunger something spiritually, but those who know Christ, there is something of substance for the hunger of your soul. Listen to John six thirty-five. I think it's in your outline. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. He who believes in me shall not thirst. I, I think this is... Uh, one of these times, kind of like every time, Jesus actually meant what he said. If you come to me, I'm going to satisfy the craving of your soul. That uneasiness, that easiness, that antsiness, that just kind of fidgetiness of, of your spirit, Jesus wants to satisfy the hunger of your soul. If you're thirsty, he says, come to me. He will satisfy your soul's thirst, John seven thirty seven. Now on that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. He will gush out of your soul. The rest he brings will nourish you from the inside out. If you hunger, if you thirst. And, and he also talks about if, if, you, if you want eternal life. Come to him. Come to him for rest in all these areas. John five thirty nine through 40. Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you will have eternal life. And it is these that bear witness of me. It's these scriptures that talk about me. And you are unwilling to come to me that you may have eternal life. He's talking about the head and heart thing. He's saying, you search all the, the religious stuff, but when you see who this book points to, you're, you're a little bit reluctant to come right to the source. If you want eternal life, come to me. Church, this is a message in some ways for, for some of us it's, it's hard to preach because sometimes we can get so tired and so weary that we don't even admit that we're tired and weary. Because it makes us too tired to stop and think about how weary we really are. And we begin to move about as if this is just normal. I saw something on the news the other day that, that aggravated me. I didn't like it because I thought, oh my goodness, I must not have very good sleep patterns. They said, if you can sit in a dark room, and, and if you go into a room that's dark, and you turn off all the lights, I guess hence that would be dark, and uh, you have no sound, 
and you can just sit there. If you have good sleep patterns, meaning you sleep enough at night, you should be able to sit in a dark, quiet room for 15 minutes without falling asleep. And I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to fail that. I get to about minute eight and I'm zonked out, snoring. It says that it tells you that you're, you're sleep deprived. And sometimes we, we run so red, we rev up the engine of our life that we're, we just begin to think this is normal. But God says, I have rest for you. What's a litmus test? How do we know if we really need rest from God? You're too much in a hurry to see the needs of people around you. You're too tired to think about what God may be asking you to do for someone else. It's very similar to when we are deprived of sleep physically, we begin to get sick. You begin to get crabby. You begin to say things that you wouldn't necessarily say. And when you're emotionally exhausted, you begin to act in ways you maybe wouldn't typically act. You begin to build walls or leave gates open in relationships that should never have been left that way. Spiritually, when we run so thin and we are so exhausted, it's just like this cloud is hanging over us. It's like it's so much clutter and and our spirit has a hard time discerning what God is saying to us. This is a good litmus test that maybe you need some rest for your soul. When we come to Christ, we see the salvation, the eternal life that he brings to us. But it's not just the salvation we come to him for. It's confessing that we need him in every day. 1 Peter 5 6 and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. If we're going to rest in God, we've got to cast our anxiety on him. Now, in this passage we saw here in Matthew uh, 11, 28, in verse 29, rather, he says, Take my yoke upon you. That's the second thing I want us to look at. Take my yoke upon you. Write that in. Now, what is a yoke? I think some of you have a much better idea of what a yoke is than I do. I've never done much time on a farm, and uh, I had to remind myself, a yoke is not like a certain part of the egg. Okay? Uh, a yoke is, is a device like this that, that is to harness two oxen together or two animals together. It's used as a, a metaphor in Scripture to refer to submission to a teacher. In the New Testament, this phrase is to take the yoke of, is a common phrase that was used. When you take the yoke of somebody, it was a phrase used for a pupil who took submission to their teacher. They were linked up with, they were partnered with, they were connected with, they were moving in the same direction. They were lockstep with that rabbi. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Now, in New Testament times, this phrase was, was not as foreign as it may be today. And, and when they heard this, there's two prevalent aspects of, of yoke upon you that they would have heard. It's the first that was very common. It's this yoke of rules and religion. This is man's yoke. Man's yoke, it's the yoke of rules and religion. It's the harness, it's, it's the device that connects two together of rules and religion. Acts chapter 15, verse 17 spells out that yoke of following rules in a religious system. There's being a way to be accepted by God, and it, it doesn't work. This is how most people think about being yoked with God. 
being connected, being paired up with him. But scripture also talks about the second yoke being yoked with Jesus' yoke. It's the yoke of relationship. It's very different than the yoke of rules and religion. It's this relationship. He said, my yoke is easy. It's probably best translated, it fits well. It's custom made to your soul. I read and I've been told that when you have a yoke that doesn't fit the animal correctly, they don't want to cooperate. It begins to get sores on that animal and you have to get it fit correctly so they can pull together. Jesus said, my yoke is custom made for you. It fits easy for you because you were created for it. Now this picture of a yoke, metaphorically, gives us a few ideas that are important for us in the area of rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. What does this mean? One there, write this in. It's this connection with him. He says, I want you to be connected with me. In essence, I want you to be with me. When you come to me, I want to give you rest. And to do this, you need to be connected to me. Be with me. Yokes are made for two, not for one. We are meant not to go through life on our own. We are meant to be connected with the Father, not living apart from Him. His yoke fits so well, it's lighter than anything else because it was made for you. Second, it's this direction. We're connected to Him, being with Him, but taking on His yoke, it gives direction. It's when He says, follow me. This idea of a yoke partners two together, and and you can't go your own way. You can't go down your own agenda, your own path. And so when you rest in him, when you come to him, and you take up on his yoke, you're being with him, you are taking direction from him. You are following him. Third, it's, it's a word picture of cooperation. It's working with him. To be yoked together means that you will... Go where he wants you to go. You will do the things that he wants you to do. You are cooperating. You are working with the Father. This brings rest to our soul. Now this is interesting. Look in your Bible again at verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The steps to rest is to come to him. To take on the custom fit frame that brings connection, that brings direction, that brings all the things that we need in our life that was custom fit for us, and we need to be ready to learn. When I'm tired, I don't want to learn. When I'm exhausted, I don't want to take something in new. When I am spent, I'm not really really ready to be a great pupil. Jesus says, hey, I am gentle. I am humble. It's this idea of this gentle, powerful God. It's not a weak God. It's not a sissy God. It's the strength under control that when you are so exhausted, hey, come here. Put your head on my shoulder. I want to wrap my arms around you. I want you to to learn from me right now as I take care of you, as I fill your heart, as I begin to pour into you. I am gentle. I am humble. I want to teach you some things of of what it means to rest in me even when you feel weary. Gentleness, strength under control. See, religious people 
they're cold and they're harsh. They've got a get-even spirit, and so to try to learn from them is nothing restful. But when you're learning from the one who is so patient and so loving and kind, it brings rest. Final thoughts, and then I will have us shift gears here in a moment. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, we just read. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him. My heart to share with you tonight is that it is time for you and for me to experience his rest. This has nothing to do with how much you know about God. This has nothing to do with if you deserve it or not. Because guess what? Any gift from God, you and I don't deserve it. But he has given us an opportunity to come to him at any moment, at any time, and be filled up. See, the rest that he gives, write this in, it is a free gift. It's not a product for purchase. It's not some kind of award to achieve. It is a free gift that is given. God wants to bless you with rest. But too many times we say, I'm too busy. I'm not really in need of rest. I I don't want to let my soul linger in his presence. But God says, if you will just come to me. I wonder how many times does God wait on us? The King of kings and the Lord of lords. The creator of all the heavens and the earth actually waiting for you and I to stop talking. To stop doing, to stop going, and to start being in His presence. He's a jealous God. He wants our complete attention, not because He is so lonely and insecure, but because He knows the way we're wired and that He can bless us when He overflows us with His love and His mercy. See, when we find this rest, jot this in, it's the greatest discovery you can ever find. Because you begin to see that though you may have times when you're physically tired and you'll have times when you're emotionally drained and you'll have moments when you feel spiritually dry and crusty, but you have someone you can go to, you can come to, and we need church to experience his rest together. But there's a problem. Some of you are a little bit like me and I don't wait very well. I had an opportunity, uh, I don't know how many days ago, and, and I was at a prayer gathering, and, and what we were called to do is about 60, 70 of us pastors to just pray and wait on God. It was awesome. Sounds so good. And we got there, but there's something that happens when there's a bunch of type A personality pastors in a room, and, and intentionally nobody's a leader, and, and we know it's not time for us to preach our sermon or to say our thoughts, and we're waiting on God, and, and you get a little bit antsy. And the people who pulled us together did a wonderful gift, and they gave us freedom, and they said, hey, you know what, right around the corner in this room, you don't even have to open a door, there's some sandwiches, there's some salad, there's some water, there's some fruit, no matter what kind of fast or diet you're on, there's something for you. If your flesh gets weak, just go get something to eat and come back and pray. And they said, you know what, upstairs there's some rooms that have some lazy boy chairs, and if, if, if your body gets tired, then why don't you just go ahead and take a ten-minute nap and then come down. You see, we had nothing to do but all day for, for eight hours but to pray and wait on God. Now, I was there for three of the six days. But something began to 
ooze up and just it's waiting. It took me to about the third hour where Jesus began to knock off some crusty things in my heart. And I'm going, oh, I can breathe. This wasn't an emotional thing. I mean, there was emotions involved, don't get me wrong. But it was so far deeper than just an emotional response. It was, it was a filling of my soul. God is calling me to come to him and rest. And it's too good for me not to tell you. I'm going to ask Pastor Edgar to come. And tonight, so many times I believe that we do a great service to our brothers and sisters and give them an opportunity to respond and you do something. But tonight, you do whatever God tells you to do. You obey Him. He's far more important than me. But if God didn't tell you to do something else, you just stay in your seat. You just let the Holy Spirit minister to your heart. Pastor Edgar is going to sing a song. I'm going to pray in a moment. But as Pastor Edgar sings a song and we bring attention to the God who loves you, who calls you to Him, you just allow these next few moments to wait on Him. I'll be watching the clock for you so you don't need to look at your watch. We're so perfectly on time. Nobody's serving food in all of Fort Wayne right now. No one. All the restaurants are closed. Nothing is more important than taking time right now to say, God, I want to try you out. Just the way you created me in my seat, I'm going to take you up on this. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to cast all my care and concern on you right now, and I'm going to take your yoke upon me. You hook me up with being connected to you. You hook me up with with being connected a follower of you and give direction. You hook me up with all the things that you have for me right now. And I just want to soak in the rest of these next number of minutes. Let the Lord minister to your soul as we hear this song.